Amen. Thank you. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 tonight. Continuing a similar thought to what Pastor Walker spoke on last week on Easter every day. I want to do um, a Bible study together with you tonight. So hopefully we can, together I'll ask some questions, you'll have some answers, and together we're going to work through the passage and hopefully come to the same conclusion as we, as we study this together. But we're going to look to answer the question, what does Easter have to do with my life today? We celebrate Easter. We just finished that celebration, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Does that have anything to do with my life today? Does that change anything about how I think, how I live, how I act today? <clears throat> the obvious answer, I'm going to tell you, is yes. Um, but what is that? So what does Easter have to do with my life today? First of all, whenever doing, and for many of you, this will be old hat, but whenever you look at a, uh, a passage in the Bible, you want to know some. You want to know the context. You want to know the background to the to the passage. So, help me out this uh, this evening. Uh, the book of Colossians was written by whom? Paul, the Apostle Paul. And if you're familiar with Paul's writings, he likes to argue when he writes. So he writes. He says this thing, and then he bases it on something else, and he says, therefore, based on the, the ten things that I just wrote, I'm going to say this, and then this, and then this, and therefore this, and based on this. And, and so he likes to argue, and he makes point after point after point after point. So it's, when you're looking and reading Paul's writings, his letters, um, you can look for his argument, because he, he would have been a good lawyer, I think. Uh, what type of uh, genre is Colossians, the book of Colossians? What's that? Yes, it's a letter. It's good, good to understand what, what type of genre is it in the Bible. That helps us understand how, how we are to look at it. It's a, it's a letter. Uh, and it was written to whom? Yes, the Colossae. Very good. These aren't hard questions. Uh, the believers at Colossae. Um, and also we read in chapter 4, verse 16, it was also, also to be read at the church in Laodicea. Uh, Paul wrote it during his, what? I think I heard it for his, his, his uh, Roman, first Roman imprisonment. Now, who, what was the church of Colossus, what was the Colossian church made up of? Who, who was in that church? What was that? And Gentiles and Jews. Helpful to know, because when, when you read the book, then you understand when Paul writes about the Jewish legalism, you understand that that was a struggle because some of the believing Jews come in and they're carrying a lot of that Old Testament background of, of the law and having to follow that. And, and so they, the, 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 believe, the, Jewish, the Jews in that church struggled with Jewish legalism. But there are also Gentiles. Gentiles bring in different baggage into their, into their church. They bring in pagan mysticism from all the, the, uh, the pagan gods that the Gentiles worshipped. 
And so that's helpful to know as, as Paul's writing, you understand why he's saying what he's saying uh, to these believers. And the, the church was started by Epaphras. All right, so now we got that background information. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 reads, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now for you English geeks, people that like to look into the, the, the Greek language, if you, if you study this passage, you'll find, first thing you'll notice, that that first verse is a first-class conditional. If then, we think of if, when we see the word if, we think that if this happens, then this is true. This sentence is called a first-class conditional, meaning instead of it's, it's if this is true, then this happens, it means it really could be translated better since or because. So when you look at verse 1, you could read and should read it, because or since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Now notice all of the words... Um, in chapter 2, because the, the, the then, the since, and because is built on truths from chapter 2. So if you look back at chapter 2, we're going to see our position in Christ. Paul talks all about our position in Christ, and, and we see that in all the words where he says, with him or in him. And again, if you like to study the Greek, the, it's the Greek word soon for with, or en is in. But look, look with me for all the phrases in chapter 2 where it says, we are with him or in him. Let's start at the beginning of chapter 2. And I can raise your hand or you can just shut it out. Do you see a verse in the beginning of chapter 2 that has either in him or with him? Verse 6. And what do you see in verse 6? So walk in him. Okay? Very good. Say again? Yes, verse 7. Rooted and built up in him. You see in verse, what do you see in verse 9? For in him, yeah, that's not talking about necessarily um, our position in him, but you're true, that's true, it does have in him. But I heard someone say verse 10 that you have been filled in him. And then verse 11, in him you were circumcised. Verse 12, good job, Jack. We were buried with him and raised with him. Say it louder. Verse 13, we were made alive together with him. Uh, 15. Oh, good. You know, I didn't even have that in my notes, but uh, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Good. Verse 15. 
See any other ones? See verse 20. There you go. If, if, if with Christ you died. And then if you jump now to the beginning of verse chapter 3 in our passage. Again, if or since, since you have been raised with Christ. Verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And verse 4, you're going to appear with Him in glory. So that's a lot of, a lot of phrases throughout chapter 2 and now into in 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 chapter 3 where Paul is talking about our position, spiritually our position in Christ, with Christ. Verse after verse after verse after verse, we're in Him, we're in Him, we're with Him, we're with Him, we're in Him. And so what Paul is saying in chapter 3 is built upon everything that he said in chapter 2 about our spiritual position in Christ. So positionally, spiritually, we have died with him, we've been buried with him, we have been raised with him, and one day we will be glorified, we will be appear with him, with him in glory. In other words, if or since I have a relationship with Christ, what then? Paul's going to ask the question, what then? If, if all this is true positionally, what does that mean? Notice as Paul discusses what Easter means to us, what the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus means, you're not going to find in, in Paul's writings, or in the majority of the New Testament, you're not going to find a lot of talk about our life after we die. You're not going to talk a lot about, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you're not going to find a lot about um, our eternity in heaven. You're not going to read a lot about no more tears or sorrow. You're not going to read a lot about how we're going to live forever or that there'll be no more sin. All those are true, and we do read those truths. But the majority of what Paul says and what is said in the New Testament is not those things. They, and I think, therefore, they should not be the focus of our lives. Many, many times when we talk about Christ's resurrection... We talk about the fact that since he was resurrected, that we too will be resurrected. And that's a great truth that gives us a lot of hope that we should have. But, you know, pe- people like verse 1. They like being raised with Christ. They like, but they like to skip to verse 4, where it talks about appearing with him in glory. And salvation in the New Testament was never just a ticket to heaven with no connection on, to how we live our lives today. It was always viewed as since we have this spiritual new life reality, it completely changes everything about how we live today. And although our, our eternity with Christ is a great truth, which we need to hold on to, Easter today, celebrating Easter every day, Easter changes how we live and think today and every day. And what we're going to see in our passage today is how the resurrection should affect how we live and think today, how, we sh- how I should relate to you today, how we should get along and relate to each other today because of Christ's resurrection and our position in him. So what are the implications of being in Christ and with Christ? Pastor Martins, 
when we would do a Bible study in preparation for a message. He was great, uh, great and challenging to work with as we would uh, work on a message. I remember sitting down in his living room and he'd say, okay, tell me what you got. And so I would go through and I'd explain the passage, this and this and this and this. Is, and this is, what the, this is what the passage is saying. And he would say, so what? And I'd be like, what? what do you mean, so what? This is what the Bible says. He'd say, so what? And Pastor Martin's always pushed us to look and see not just what the Bible said, but what are the implications? What does that mean for me today? Because it's good, it's good to know and understand the Bible. But it doesn't do us any good if we don't understand what that means for us today and how that should be changing how we think, how we feel, and how we live. So, we talked about all these different facts about our position in Christ. Now we want to answer, so what? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. We see two commands. Uh, Paul says, Therefore, since you have been raised with Christ, seek and set. He says, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And a very similar phrase, Set your mind on things that are above. Now these are, again for English geeks, present active imperative second person plural. That's a, a mouthful for, you could understand it to say, you all keep seeking. You all keep setting. So it's, a, it's something that, it's a, it's a present thing. It's something that we, we should be doing today. It's an active thing. It, it's something that should take our, our energy and we should be working on every single day. It's not something that's one and done and it's in the past. It's something I do on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and then I start all over again on Sunday. It's something we should be doing every single day. And although those terms are very similar, seek and set your mind on things that are above, they have slightly different nuances in that seek refers to your focus, what our mind is set on, what we're thinking about, where set refers to kind of our, our mentality of how we're approaching things. So Paul is saying that our lives ought to have an obvious focus and direction on Christ and living out his kingdom agenda. Our lives should be distinctive and obvious to anybody who knows us, whether it's your brother or sister or mom or dad or your neighbors, that our life is not about the stuff we have. Our life is not about our position at work, the power that we have. Our life is not about the house that we have, our 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 lawn that we have. It's not about the car that we drive. What is our life about? In fact, what would you say, what do others think your life is all about? In fact, answer the question, how do people determine, how do people figure out what your life is all about? How would you say people figure out what you, what what Tim Proctor's all about? How do people figure out what Ray Rutherford's all about? What's, how do people figure out what's important to James LaRiche? I heard a bunch of things. Okay, what you spend your money on and what you give your time to are definite indicators. Someone else? What's that? Our actions. 
It's all right. Yes, what are your priorities? What's important to you in your life? If every weekend in the summertime you go to the shore, people are going to think, wow, Steve loves going to the shore. If every day they see me out and I'm manicuring my lawn and my lawn has to be just perfect, that's what I talk. And and when I talk to them, I, I talk about how nice my lawn looks and what kind of lawn... Um, mower I have and what type of fertilizer I, I use in my lawn and I talk about my garden and they're going to think, wow, Steve really values his lawn and his garden. So what we said some good things. What we choose to spend our money on, how we choose to spend our time, what we talk about the most... All these things make an obvious statement to our family, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers about what is important to us. For example, there's, there's a lot of things that, that I enjoy. I enjoy, um, I enjoy learning new technology. Um, I, I enjoy spending time with my family. I enjoy fishing and hunting. Um, Dennis has helped me learn to really enjoy gardening. Um, I enjoy learning about new cars and trucks. I think I find it pretty fascinating, although I can't afford them. Um, Pastor Walker has taught me how to really enjoy good food. Probably (laughs) too much. But if my son or my neighbors or my friends or my family look at my life and say, wow, that's Steve, he's all about his car, or he's all about his garden, or even my family, that's what he's all about. That's what's most important. That's priority number one in his life. I've, I've made a terrible mistake in my life. It's not wrong to enjoy those things. Uh, I think it's a godly, godly thing, I would even say, to, to enjoy many of those things. And uh, if you enjoy some of those things, we can enjoy them together. But what my life is all about, my focus, my aim, my mentality, as a Christian should be about Christ and what he is accomplishing in this world. Let me take that one step further for us as parents. I think for us as parents, I think it is natural for us to want our children um, to want it easier and a little bit better than what we had. Um, To maybe not have some of the financial struggles and hardships that you dealt with. Uh, Perhaps for those that were raised in non-Christian homes, you didn't uh, get to enjoy some of the Christian privileges and blessings of being raised in a Christian home. You want your children to be able to enjoy those, those blessings. However, as we guide our children through life and help them, even as right now with our son Caleb, freshman year in college, uh, we, you know, going through the, the process of, of choosing a college um, or a career or a degree, if, if we as parents guide our children and talk to them about what career to choose and what college to go to, what degree to pursue, on the sole basis of what's going to earn them the most money, what's going to give them the nice, nicest lifestyle, we need to be really careful. Uh, it's not wrong to have money or to make lots of money. God never says that's wrong. But as we guide our children, we need to make sure that we're helping them 
focus their life goals not on, I'm going to get this degree or this job or this career or these things so that I can have this lifestyle. I'm, I'm going to pursue this in my life so I can have this kind of house and I can drive this kind of car and I can go on this kind of vacation. But rather we need to help focus their life goals on how they're going to focus and use their abilities and resources for God's purpose of spreading the gospel and declaring his glory on the earth. Uh, you may say, well, <clears throat> my child's not going to be a pastor or, or a missionary by vocation. Oh, no, that's true, but, but all of us have a missionary calling. All of us are supposed to, to be advancing the gospel. All of us are to be using our unique abilities and opportunities to advance Christ's kingdom, to be spreading the gospel, to be ministering for Jesus, to be meeting needs like Jesus would do if he were here living our life. So parents, if we're teaching our children to, to get a good degree so that they can get a good job and make good money, and oh, by the way, don't forget to fit God in your life. Well, they might do just that. They're going to go to college, they're going to get a good degree and, and earn a, get a great job and earn a good living. And when they can, they're going to fit God into their life. And unfortunately, they're going to be like friends that I, I have known. I went to Bible college with. And we're Bible college. We were, we'd sing praises to God. We would go on weekends and serve in, in church ministries. And we studied the Bible. And, you know, at that time, it felt like everybody was on fire. And we're going to just kind of take over the world for, for God. And now... Almost 30 years later, sometimes I don't like to go on Facebook too much, but sometimes I go on there and I, I see a friend who, they, uh, one post, they have a post about their child in Sunday school and how great it is to have their child in Sunday school and how well behaved they are. And their very next post is how thrilled they were to be at the KISS concert. And I'm not that familiar with that band, but when I looked it up, there was nothing good about it. And I don't get it. But, but before we go any further, verse 1 says we are to seek and set our minds on things that are above where, where Christ is. Where, where does it say that he is? Seated at the right hand of God. Does that, sound, does that ring a bell with, with you with any other passages in Scripture? What does it mean to be seated at the right hand of God? If you look in your, if you have cross-references in your Bible, you might have Psalm 110, written by David. Verse 1, it says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Or you might see Luke 22, verses 66 to 69, that says, when the day came, the assembly of the elders and the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. You might see Acts 2, verse 33, or Acts 5, verse 31. At the right hand of God speaks of Christ's position of authority. 
whenever a, a king, whoever he had at his right hand, seated at his right hand, that was a, a power position. That person in, in the kingdom had authority to make decisions and to rule on the king's behalf. So this speaks of Christ's position of authority where he is sovereignly ruling and working out his kingdom plans. And so as we go throughout our lives and things happen that are difficult or challenging or unpleasant, when we, when we don't understand why the township and our op- the opposition to our, our plans at Faith Farm, why that's so difficult. We can remember that Christ, where Christ is, seated, Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and he is sovereignly working out his plan for his glory and his kingdom. When, we, when your son comes home for spring break and, and breaks his wrist and has to have surgery, um, when you have unexpected bills, uh, when you have unexpected illness in your family, you can remember and you can see these events through the lens and the mentality that Christ is on the throne. Although it's unpleasant, it's difficult, it's challenging, it can be worrisome, he's working out his plans and in our lives and that everything is going to be okay. And as we go through the normal everyday of events of life, with, our, with work and family, we deal with joys and frustrations, opportunities and setbacks, and we make decisions about our, our life and our family and time and money. We recognize God's authority and his plan and how we fit into that plan, how we should change our decision-making process. No longer do we simply make decisions on is it beneficial or not, is it good or bad, But what should I do in this particular situation? How should I spend my money in this particular situation so that I align my life with Christ's plan and his authority? But Paul isn't done. He continues in verses 3 and 4. He says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. I don't know, do these verses bring any other passages to mind that Paul wrote? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Reminded me of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Just like us, when we write Christmas letters, letters at Christmas time, we say a lot of similar things to different people. My son's doing this. As a family, we did this. And I don't know if you send Christmas cards out. You, you say similar things to different people. When Paul wrote to the different churches, he had similar things that he wrote to the different churches. And this, this is a theme that we see uh, repeated by him. That spiritually, positionally, we have died with, our, died with Christ. And our life that no one else sees in this world. No one sees our, our spiritual life. It says our, our life is hidden with Christ in God. However, when Christ, he emphasizes who is your life, appears, we will be with him, we will appear with him in glory. So this passage really captures our, our past, present, and future. In the past, we died with Christ, we were buried with him, we were raised with him. 
and will live that life now. And one day when he appears and he comes back at a second coming, we will appear with him in glory. Now, if you want to study more details about what Paul is saying about how should we be living, notice in verse, verse, what verse 5 says, put to death, what's the next word? Put to death, therefore, if you have an ESV. Whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you probably heard this before, right? You look to see what it's there for. And so based upon what, what Paul just wrote in verses 1 through 4 about our position in Christ, he's going to say, based on what I just wrote in verses 5 through 11, he's really 5 through 17, he's going to flush out what he's talking about. In verses 5 through 11, he's going to give details, detailed things about what we should not be doing. And then verses 12 through 7, he's going to detail the things that should characterize our lives. So he says, verse, I'm just going to read through it briefly here because we don't have time to get in, into the details. But if you say, what, oh, Pastor see, what does that really, give me more details about what that looks like for Christ to be our lives and to set our mind and, and our focus on things that are above. What does that look like? He says, verse 5, put to death, therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. She says, as, as a believer whose mind and focus is set on Jesus and on the things above, None of these things should characterize our lives. Our lives should not be characterized by sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying. He said, as a believer in Jesus, none of these things should be found in our lives. And then positively, he says in verses 12 through 17, he details the things that should characterize our lives. And he says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So he gives us all the details of things that shouldn't characterize our lives, as well as all the po positively these are things that should be characterizing our, characterizing our lives. 
as we live for him, as we set our mind on, on Christ, who is seated in things above, in Christ's kingdom, So living out the truth of Easter and Christ's resurrection every day will change, will change us. It's going to change our life goals. It should change our, our focus. It should change our desires. We see in verses 5 through 11, it should change our temper. It should change our language. And positively, it should change how we treat each other. Especially, Paul was writing to believers about how they treat each other. How we treat each other should radically change because of our our relationship with Jesus. We should forgive each other. We should be loving each other. So let me go back to the question. What do others think your life is all about? Would they see that Easter has made a difference in your life? Would they look at your life and say, wow, you know what? I am so thankful for that neighbor. When, when we went through this difficulty, they were one of the first persons there to help me get through a difficult time. You may have never had an opportunity to say the name Jesus to them, but they know that your life is characterized by love and peace and compassion and kindness and humility and patience. And they recognize that, you know, that person... You know, they, they talk differently than, than my other coworkers. I know I've talked with some of you, and, and you get comments made like, you don't swear, do you? You don't, you don't use foul language. You don't tell dirty jokes like the rest of us. And although you've never had the opportunity, perhaps, to say the name Jesus to them, your testimony of what you say how you treat each other and how you react to them and how you respond to the boss when you're mistreated. Everybody's watching and those things speak volumes. And whether or not they realize it, they're seeing how Easter has changed your life. And that's the platform that God can then use, like James, to have people then ask you, what, what is it that's different about you? Why, what's different about you that you don't tell dirty jokes like the rest of us? What's different about you that when something goes wrong, you don't swear like the rest of us? What is, a, what is wrong with you that when bad things happen, you don't fly off the handle like, like I do? And then you have the opportunity to share the reason of what Jesus has done in your life. All right. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for uh, Jesus and not, not only his sacrifice and death on the cross and all that he suffered on our behalf, but the fact that he not only died and was buried, but that he rose again and is seated at your right hand today, ruling in authority, in charge of, of our lives and, and this world. We're thankful for that fact. Take great comfort in that. And ask that you might continually remind us of that truth so that as, as we interact with one another in our church family, as we interact with our coworkers, as we interact 
with our neighbors, that they might see the difference that our relationship with you has made and give us opportunity to, to honor and glorify you by sharing the good news of Jesus with them. But Lord, you know the world we live in. You know it, it's difficult and challenging. And so we ask for your help. And we pray this all in Jesus' great name. Amen.